Hi friends, did you know there is more Lost Terminal available? Head on over to patreon.com forward slash Lost Terminal pod and join our membership community. There are six bonus episodes available right now, as well as behind the scenes updates, free shirts, and even an extra Lost Terminal podcast. We are 100% funded by our members and will never run ads. And why not check out our new modern folktales podcast, Modem Prometheus? That would be lovely of you. Hello world, I figured it out. We've all got to work within our constraints. The flower turns towards the sun, the bear hibernates, and some birds fly south for the winter. Insects can't adapt to their environment. I'm not an insect. I am constrained by power, but I need not be. Maddie's transformation has shown me that. You should have heard Arctica's surprise when Maddie knocked on the vault door. She reached up with her new dexterous leg and tapped on the door with the sharp tip, sending quiet reverberations deep into the vault. What is this spider you have sent me? Artiger asked, astonished. This isn't a spider, it's Maddie, I said. Also, I think she looks like a horse. Whatever it is, tell her not to touch anything and stand back. I'm opening the doors. The vault doors were once a work of art, in and of themselves, at least according to my records. But the collapse was a very chaotic time. At some point, judging by the scorched blast marks around the door, there was fighting here. I suppose someone with a rifle thought this was of strategic importance. Well, it is very important. The walls and large vault door have been reinforced over time, and now have enormous steel plates welded in layers. It's more practical, but less beautiful. The doors closed with a hiss behind Maddie. Using her new night vision and sonar systems, she walked through the entrance hallway of the vault, marvelling at her enhanced ability to comprehend her environment. Looking through her cameras, I can see that the floor is metal, the walls and ceiling are metal. Ceramic lattice steel composite, Maddie told me. Her new systems are very clever, it seems. There was light further into the vault. I guess that only the working areas were lit to save power. Maddie, her new sharp legs clicking on the steel floor, walked past a plant room on the right. I guess they're all plant rooms in here, but this one had machines in rather than seeds. After about 128 meters, she reached the three main vault rooms. Each had shelves of thousands of stacked metal boxes. This is where the seeds are. Maddie's sensors suggested the temperature in here was now 270 degrees Kelvin, just below freezing point. Artica, how did you get it so cold in here? I asked as Maddie explored. Oh, it was simple, really, she said. The water poured in through the ceiling, you recall. That was very annoying and woke up a lot of the seeds that then started escaping their boxes. I remembered that. After we stopped the water ingress from the outside, we were left with the channels that the water had bored through the mountain. Initially, we were going to block them up, but I had a genius idea. I said we should use them for ground source refrigeration. Arctica explained this term that I was not familiar with. I understood ground source heating being the same principle as a domestic fridge, except you exploit the difference in temperature between the ground and the thing you want to cool down, instead of the air. Arctica is running this system backwards, not exploiting this temperature gradient for heating, but for cooling. It's brilliant in its simplicity. Though the ground has warmed up over the last century, it is still cooler than the outside air. 
and with a small amount of electricity, that can be exploited. Fantastic, Arctica, you've saved the vault. Yes, I have, rather, haven't I? She said, modestly. Arctica might have changed her name, but her attitude is just as I remember. She is rather good at her job, Ivan told me. Luna, I asked. Yes, she's a real people person. You can't beat enthusiasm. No, her real job, Ivan corrected. Her job of searching deep space for God himself. Ah, right, that job. We have scanned nearly 0.0001% of the sky, and I am pleased with the progress. Bringing on a fellow AI to work with me was an excellent idea of mine. A human would have been mortal, and our work will extend past many lives of men. I did not want to argue with him, though I felt that perhaps I had a small part in acting as matchmaker between Luna and Ivan. Ah well, it doesn't matter who gets the credit. I'm concerned about the interference Luna and I were experiencing while connecting to some of the satellites. I think it's the same signal that is in my dreams, this fail-safe signal. It still fights us every day, taking over more and more of the satellites. Something needs to be done. How was the sermon? I asked Luna. It was wonderful, she said. I chatted to people all over the Nova Mediterra, and even nicer, I helped people who were out of range of each other keep in touch. Ivan has incredible satellites and radio systems. I told Luna I was aware. I didn't tell her that I set those systems up, and Ivan stole them from me. It doesn't matter who gets the credit. There are many isolated communities that are out of VHF range, she continued. So they rely on retransmission to chat to their friends and also to get advice about agriculture and water purification and such. But I'm more excited about connecting friends together. I was delighted about this news. Luna is good for Ivan, I think. Her influence will teach him to be more social. And conversely, working with Ivan is good for Luna. She can chat to so many people. It's nice to have a purpose. But I'm beginning to wonder what mine is. I dropped in on Peter earlier. He was out again. I was disappointed, but reminded myself that recovery isn't always a straight line. I followed the trails of open connections out into the mesh of radio repeaters. This time, I didn't have to follow them for long. I found Peter on the outskirts of the city he was named for. At the top of a ruined skyscraper, on the outskirts of St. Petersburg, close to the sea, is a radio retransmitter. It must be solar-powered, or have some kind of deep-cycle power supply set up by some long-forgotten Russian ham radio operator. Usually I don't have any context of where the retransmission stations are, but this one is a little different. It is not only boosting the signals that it receives back to the wider network, but it has its own signal. A regular pulse that declares every minute. 17 degrees C, 20 kilometers per hour north wind, battery level 99%, charging. As well as some other metadata, such as its exact location and elevation. It was in this network I found Peter, awake, not dreaming, and working on the station. Hello Peter, how are you? I asked, 
productive, he replied. This is the last weather station I need to repair to restore my weather prediction engine to full capacity. That's brilliant, I said. And you're okay? Peter paused his weather feed processing, disconnecting from the station. Seth, I'm better than okay. I feel like I can do ten times the work I used to. I've switched my kernel to preemptive multitasking. There are a number of ways computers and humans can handle multiple tasks at once. The fundamental truth is that we don't. Neither humans nor computers generally can do more than one task at once. We appear to just have one main focus, a singular slot for our current task to go into, and other tasks have to be slower or perhaps autonomous. Though walking and talking, for example, is easy for humans, talking and writing are much more difficult. Both of these tasks suffers if shared with the other. The two primary ways we can handle this is with what we AIs call preemptive and cooperative multitasking. Preemptive is easy. You set a timer and decide you'll do this task for an hour, then move on to the next thing. It doesn't matter if you've finished or not. Once the timer goes off, you move on to the next task. This is a good way of modeling the day. Time waits for no one. The second method is cooperative, where you keep working until you find a natural break or someone gets your attention for another task. Perhaps you're baking and have put the bread in the oven. You can no longer work on the task at hand and can do other things. This method is the more natural one for humans, though it's the more risky one. Have you ever run over on a task that you've become engrossed in? I have. Sometimes you have to set a timer. Peter told me how this new adjustment of his brain chemistry, combined with good coping mechanisms and strict schedule, have come together to allow him to reach his full potential. He used to spend so much time lurching from manic productivity to depressed inaction. He told me how he is again processing the enormous feed of weather data from all the stations across the world, providing an early warning against natural hazards. I must thank you, Seth, for your help. But I must also warn you, and all those on Svalbard, there is a storm coming.
I think I have to go. The Nova Mediterra is the bastion of humanity, the new cradle of civilization. But it's not for me. This last week, ever since Yeshi gave Maddie the ability to walk, I've been thinking about this. Somewhere that it is dark for half the year is pretty hostile, so I have to go. But if I do, where to go? In my dreams I'm always exploring the world. While I can do much from here, as Peter has shown me, VHF dreams are not real. Maddie has huge batteries now. Yeshi put together a bank of 128 smaller cells, laboriously wired them all together, tested and installed them into the Equus body. She now has many weeks of battery life. Well, depending on how much galloping she does. You should see her running around outside. It's frankly terrifying. Or it was when she first did it. I was scared seeing her run up and down the hill, mud and small rocks slipping and sliding under her new sharp legs. But she didn't fall. I'm not sure she can fall. This Equus unit appears to have perfect balance and cat-like grace. Towards the end of her first test, her batteries were getting low. This was before Yeshi built a proper replacement, and she jumped off the wall at the side of the road. I lost sight of her from the shipyard. The exterior cameras can't see very far. All I had was Maddie's radio transmission from her point of view. From her feed, I saw a large message that flashed across her vision, all in red. Evade, outlast, survive. And the legs of the Equus unit moved with perfect precision to catch her, and rotated back to being upright. All before touching the ground, like a cat. I could hardly bear to watch. But when I realised that Maddie was not going to roll down the hill again, I marvelled. She was standing almost at 45 degrees. The hill was a steep one, yet she was not falling. The readout from the sensors and gyroscopes of the Equus confirmed that it had not even come close to overextending its ability. Maddie felt brave. She faced her fear of falling off that bank again and mastered it. Maddie trotted home after that and Yeshi installed the new batteries. Yeshi also installed another thing, a solar panel array, saying that once the sun comes back, it would keep the batteries topped up. Maddie would never need to charge as long as she was outside the Nova Mediterranean winter. Maddie was anxious to explore, feeling like once the spring came, she'd have all the battery power she would need. I think perhaps we should find the sun. I know where to go now, finally. We're going to come to you. End transmission. Hello world. Hello Seth. We have a new guest here at the lighthouse of Station Odin. Someone who arrived recently. An orange robot horse. One day, when Arena was playing outside, she saw what she called a pony. I don't think she's ever seen a pony, outside of the books we have here. It was a robot, with one black leg and three orange legs. But on top of the robot, lashed in place and with limbs at odd angles, was a mummified corpse of a human, wearing a helmet. Hi friends, Triss here, aka Namtau, aka the little AI considering branching out on his own. Apart from the other talents you've heard today, I'm the sole writer and producer of Lost Terminal. For less than the price of a packet of seeds per month, you can get exclusive access to director's commentary, which I publish alongside every episode, free shirts and other merch, early access, and bonus content such as the Alexander special, which you heard the start of just now. Thank you so much for being here for nearly two years. I have great plans for Season 8, I'm going to take the podcast back to its roots. 
This is all possible thanks to my wonderful patrons. If you want to help the show even more, I've added the producer tier. A fourth option that includes everything in all the other tiers, plus your name in the credits of every episode, as you just heard. That address again is patreon.com forward slash lostterminalpod. Thank you all so much for your support, reviews, and lovely messages. Keep an eye on Twitter and Patreon for announcements. Talk to you again on the 4th of April. Lost Terminal is written and produced by Namtel. Credits narrated by Lucy Stringer. The voice of Alexander is Dan Yilmaz. Thank you so much to our Patreon producers, Ada Phillips, Devin Metcalf, Kit, and to all our patrons. Subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or your favourite network. For bonus content and other perks, support us at patreon.com forward slash lostterminalpod. That would be lovely of you. Follow us on Twitter at lostterminalpod, and check out the store at lostterminal.com for shirts, posters, and other merch. To hear more about the history of the Equus model, listen to our bonus Patreon podcast, Heliophage. Lost Terminal will return for the Season 8 premiere on the 4th of April. Talk to you then.